It's the 8th of September, 2015, and this is episode 245. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're digging deep into the rebirth of the original Metacoin from 2013, MasterCoin, as it becomes the Omni Protocol. Just a heads up, today's interview is edited for content, but not for presentation. I should be back up to full power for Saturday's episode 246, featuring Andreas, Stephanie, and special guest Nick Zabo, but that's Saturday. Today, I'm pleased to share with you this, Omni Uncut. On today's episode... We're joined by Patrick Dugan, one of the leads of the Omni Project, which was formerly known as the MasterCoin Project. Patrick, thanks for your time. All right. Thank you very much. So it's been a little bit over a year since we spoke with Ron Gross, who was at the time the executive director of the MasterCoin Project. Tell us, what has happened to lead you from MasterCoin Project and Ron Gross the Omni project led by what appears to be an entirely different group of people. Yeah, indeed. Um, kind of like uh, how our bodies change cells every uh, seven years, something like that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so Ron, um, basically like the first year of the project, there was a, an under-optimized allocation of, of resources, shall we say, uh, because they had a lot of resources. So it was like, you know, let's do bounties, let's do decentralized and some good things came out of that. In the first six months, they did a bunch of bounties. They got uh, Zathras out of that, who has ended up bringing this project across the finish line with a very, very polished C++ implementation built off of Bitcoin Core. So that was a good thing. Um, the guys who founded Counterparty were involved in the project at that time and, and split off on their own. And then in the second half of that first year, they started to say, okay, well, we have this money. Let's hire people full time in what they call role-based bounties. And um, Craig Sellers got involved in February of 2014 and started, they, they kind of developed, they, they launched the initial decks, which had this uh, one-way process of sending people Bitcoin, and then it'll give you back master coins based on uh, the limit order that you've entered. And that was multi-sig escrow. So that was the first decentralized exchange. It just wasn't very, uh, very good, basically. <laughs> they order book, you couldn't create liquidity. So... They also had problems with the, the architecture in uh, they, they were using obelisk basically it was sort of meta level parsing of the blockchain so in approximately may of 2014 if i'm not mistaken they decided to reformulate and build something that's like a hard level natively run node based off of bitcoin qt and bitcoin d which they were calling MasterCore. The desire to curtail expenditures came in and i guess for whatever reason Rogros decided you know he was like looking for hiring a ceo and i was like well why are you doing that like aren't you the sort of the ceo and then basically david johnson took over and david johnson decided to come up with the rebrand and he was seeing this vision for integrating with factum and with made safe and creating this bitcoin blockchain based ecosystem and then for whatever reasons of his david decided to focus more on factum and so craig who has been leading the team and myself who has been involved a li- i came in about a month after craig 
And um, my interest was always in the trading applications and the financial tools that the protocol could have. Um, and then all the other developers, we've been sort of bringing it across the finish line this year, working uh, on a volunteer basis. I think in this in this industry, if you will, if you'll call it an industry, um, <laughs> arguably you can't really quite call it that. But um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, levity that people are taking when they raise funding, and and even Ethereum, which has been tremendously successful, has has into this. And uh, you know, this was the first crowd sale, the Mastercoin sale, like two years ago. And it did pretty well, and they they stayed long the Bitcoin, so the Bitcoin became worth millions of dollars. But they didn't hedge the Bitcoin; they didn't sell any of the Bitcoin, so it became less millions, and ultimately was was spent through in the, in that way by the end of 2014. Uh, so you know, a lot of mistakes were made, and personally, I'm not responsible for them. But I would have liked to have gotten them to hedge. I, I would have liked to have had a more active role sooner at, at a, the level that i do now and, and steer them away from that but, but I, I want i want i believe in transparency and i want to lay everything out for the public um we're not you know we're like we're the good guys we're the people who have stuck stuck through to the end and put in the hours even when there wasn't cash on the table to, to compensate those hours and, uh, we've got a pretty good product now <laughs> so that's the good news so MasterCoin was one of the first, I was actually the first on the blockchain fundraiser that I can remember. I'm pretty sure that it broke that concept open back in, I guess it would have been summer of 2013. So right after I, right after we started Let's Talk Bitcoin, uh, MasterCoin's been around as a, as a going concern. Just, um, it, you know, as you were talking, one of the things that struck me is uh, something that one of my co-founders at Token likes to say, Devin Weller, uh, says that you have to build it once to know what it is that you're building so that you can then see how to actually build it right the second time. And it strikes me that a lot of the things that you said there, yeah, seem to kind of fall into that category of there's a lot of firsts that happened here. And, you know, money, if, if it sounds like you feel like money could have been better, and certainly that was a conclusion I came to a long time ago. Moving forward, I mean, so where, so after this transition happened, and after, I guess, David Johnston uh, stepped away from that role, so what happened next? Where where was the transition from Mastercoin over to the Omni project? And frankly, who stayed? So the rebrand was actually David's idea, and I supported it. And and I think David's got a pretty sharp idea of what kind of app tokens or, or financial instruments are going to be marketable and whatnot. So like the whole Mastercoin, kind of like uh, Master Blaster from like uh, Thunderdome, you know, uh, and the, the whole coin aspect has got a very kind of 2013 altcoin vibe to it. Um, whereas the original intention that JR had when he did the fundraise was have a coin, which is like the root coin, which can transform into dollar coins, zero coins, S&P coins, etc. So Omni, to that idea, and I'm going to get into how we're going to actually affect that and how rad it's going to be in, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, after, so he, he put that in and then he kind of stepped away. And then um, I, because I've adopted the idea, like I think uh, the ticker OMNI as a four letter ticker is pretty cool. And I think the name works. So uh, we, you know, we all just stuck with the name OmniLayer, uh, Omni Protocol. This week, uh, between when this is recorded and when this goes live, we're going to 
coordinate with all of our exchanges so that it's rebranded at the spot exchanges and we'll see the new ticker and, and the new name. And um, yeah, so I, I stepped up uh, in a volunteer role as a board member on the foundation in April. So uh, it's me, Craig, uh, JR, and Anthony Vo, who's uh, an early investor. Basically, they've given Craig executive authority to decide how investing uh, budget is spent. I've done the budget, which he's more or less approved, so they're subject to changes. But uh, I've got several bounties out that I want to talk about. I want to get more people involved. We're doing a uh, testing bounty program right now where people will be able to earn uh, some modest amounts for a modest amount of time testing it out. Uh, we've had for the past week or two something that you might call if you were not super cautious which these guys are super cautious a release candidate build where you can actually download it on windows uh, or you can install it in, a, in an ubuntu command line server or whatever um and on windows it looks like bitcoin qt but you have balances for all these other things so um it's pretty exciting pretty exciting time so a long time ago, <laughs> a long time ago in Bitcoin time, last year, um, we made with LTB coin and then subsequently with my company, Tokenly, a decision to basically focus our MetaCoin efforts on the counterparty protocol. Yes. Basically, what it sounds like you're saying here is that you've reinvented the protocol and you've actually fixed many of the problems that were kind of outstanding with it. So let's talk about it from that perspective. At this point, where do you differ from counterparty and what are the reasons why I, as somebody who's already doing stuff on counterparty, would want to switch or to use in addition, perhaps, um, MasterCoin for projects? It's a great question. Yeah, well, you know, I was uh, doing a bit of research on this and uh, looking into their stack and I listened to Roddy uh, do an interview yesterday and um, highly, highly impressed with uh, what he has to say. He's definitely somebody who's technically sharp and sort of gets the overall thing. And the technology that they're building uh, seems quite tremendous. So I have a lot of nice things to say about Counterparty. Um, the cons that I would put out about Counterparty is that the feedback we've gotten from integrators is that the Omnicore D is easier to integrate because it's so congruous Bitcoin D. And the earlier version based on Mastercoin tools and Obelisk was, was more of a kludge, right? So people were complaining about that. Uh, people have had some difficulty with, with integrating Counterparty D. Um, and then beyond having a more stable foundation, technically, uh, we're going to do some key features like the futures contracts and what I call decentralized banking, which I think is really important. And I want to get into a little more depth um, directly at the protocol level, not as a VM, which is burning fuel to run which has more complex moving parts that for an operational point of view may be maybe a bit riskier and then for people who are just doing a token as like a crowd sale or as a tool for their accounts receivable which i believe is the way that ltb coin works right is you, you take it for advertising and you pay it for content production and and community participation um, it makes sense to have some kind of meta level database which could just be an sql or it could be one of these permission ledgers that are getting bandied about for financial institutions and you know whatever protocol you want to have for making people whole if they lose keys or 
you know, associating uh, payments with identities, which you may not want to do at all, but, but, you know, people can do that. And then you can issue your tokens across multiple protocols to get more liquidity. And also um, we're getting into a situation, which is, which is kind of a whole other topic where we can have multi-blockchain and, and multi-protocol apps. Um, and uh, I think the, the last point that I want to make is the counterparty guys are very focused on software engineering. And I think they're doing a pretty good job of that. But what we're doing here with Omni is going to involve more quantitative finance capability. So um, my work with the foundation's war chest of, of Omni's is going to do a uh, systematic trading program where it's distributing orders throughout. There's going to be very tight spreads and liquidity on the decentralized exchange on day one when we go live. That's that's the deadline that I'm pushing towards right now. I've got, I've got a lot of deadlines on my plate. I do, so I do automated trading as, as my bread and butter occupation. Um, so I'm also pushing out some systems just for trading and arbitraging Bitcoin. Um, but like looking at, I was taking a look at CounterWallet yesterday and uh, and I also have some usability knocks about, about CounterWallet. We can talk about web wallets versus desktop wallets in, in a bit. Um, they don't have a whole lot of liquidity for the CP slash whatever pair it is. Um, they're not concerned about that. They want the, the community to you know create the liquidity in this kind of crowdsource, you know, markets are, are crowdsourcing mechanisms, right? So they're leaning on that. And um, the betting aspect is not standardized. So I have to go out and find a counterparty and, and say, you know, let's bet half a Bitcoin that the, uh, the Seahawks are, are going to win the Super Bowl or not, right? And that's a binary outcome. Um, or if we want to want to take a bet on the S&P 500, I have to find a counterparty for that, right? So the primary priority uh, post-launch that I have and that I want to promote with uh, a bounty of, a, of four or 5,000 Omnis, which right now is a low five-figure amount, could be a mid-five-figure amount, is building a standardized futures contract into the protocol so that it just works and there's a liquid market for it. And we're going to facilitate that. Okay, so let's start breaking this down a little bit because you said a lot of things there that <laughs> yeah. I want to ask about. How much influence do you actually have on the project? Because I hear you saying that your expertise is in, uh, you know, is in these uh, commodity markets and contracts and things like that, and that Omni is pushing in that direction. Um, and those are some of the criticisms that you leveled against uh, against Counterparty, which is fine. Um, is that the point of the project now? Is the project has the project pivoted from what was what seemed to me to be a, a fairly generic uh, meta platform, right, where you could do all of these things and it wasn't really specialized in any one direction? It, from what you've just described, it sounds like there is at least in your mind a greater focus on these financial tools, on these contracts, and uh, and kind of pushing in in that direction. So have I gotten that right? Yeah, I. I I don't have unilateral sort of executive authority, but I do have a bit of pull. And um, and this is the direction the product as a whole is moving, though. Well, if people want to take it in different directions, that's fine. Uh, I've published, or we're, we're going to publish uh, a set of bounties that I've drafted based on the budget that we have of, of the vesting. There's like a 10% vesting 
investing that you get half the first year, half the second year. So I've, I've laid out these bounties and I'm trying to drive it in this direction. The competitive landscape has changed, right? Like this was the first project. So at the time, the idea that it could do all these different things was pretty good. But now we've got something that can do all these different things, quote unquote, uh, namely a Turing complete computation. And uh, with that, you bring in some some unknown unknowns, like um, what will the cost end up being relative to hosting on, a, on Amazon or DigitalOcean? And, and some other issues I think are a little too technical and out of scope here. But um, so, yeah, I see that Symbiont um, and, and their former employers with Medici are focusing on securities. And that's good. That's a lot of money, right? Those are their clients for that. Um, I'm personally very interested in securities, uh, what this technology allows us to do for bringing like farm shares and real estate shares and renewable energy shares to the blockchain. It's way easier than having to like create an ETF and, and go through those, those centralized systems. Um, and then you can do the Internet of Things and all that. So, th so that's a whole direction. And uh, I would like to see some of those securities and bring some of those securities uh, to the platform. Um, and as far as crowd sales go, people can do crowd sales with this. Um, it's just a question of, of liquidity, right? So I think in order to win people back, right? Because last year, crowd uh, counterparty got the lion's share of the crowd sales, right? And made safe issued my counterparty and, and so on. So they kind of won that one. Um, so from what I understand, there's a tacit agreement with, with this other direction that I'm, I guess you could say we're, we're pivoting a little bit, but we're not like changing anything fundamentally where you can't use securities. We're just not, focusing on building a startup around uh, smart contracts that enable what, what Symbiont guys uh, call smart securities um, at this point in time. But if we nail the futures contract, we could become a very reliable platform for currency exchange and uh, the decentralized banking model that, um, that I'm going to describe in a little bit. And so rather than trying to go get clients on Wall Street, I'm much more interested in getting clients in like Freetown, Sierra Leone, where the Wall Street, you know, may not even be paid. Um, because I think that's where the most of the economic growth is, is going to come from in this world. And, and so I, I believe in that, like as a, an emotion, emoting person, you know, um, that answer your question. Yeah, that does answer my question. Okay, so let's talk about the futures contract thing. What does that look like on the Omni blockchain? Why is that better than the alternatives there around? Yeah, so you can set something up using JavaScript, right? And and you can prototype a fairly simple contract for difference contract. Um, that's being redundant there. You, you can set up a pretty simple contract for difference in like 50 lines of JavaScript, right? Or, or however many lines of solidity that, that you would need to do that. Uh, in order to standardize a futures contract or contract difference, uh, there's a little bit more work involved. And the real issue is uh, settlement, right? So most futures contracts, whether you're trading on CME or you're trading on OKCoin or 796 or, or BitMEX, um, they have a central clearinghouse standing behind all the trades. So, uh, but also these contracts, the, uh, the centralized ones today, don't allow you to take your realize profits off of the exchange until settlement, which is why they do weekly settlement. Right? So there's the central backstop. In the early days of the CME, they almost went bust actually one day and they had to like borrow some money and, and they managed to hold it together. They haven't run into that danger so far. Uh, in 2008, the, the more 
uh, you could say decentralized derivatives where it's just banks setting up contracts with each other that created a, a problem right and that's actually that's endemic right that's the decentralized clearing problem and it's it's actually a very complex uh graph theory type problem so these somebody with sharp c plus plus skills and if nobody steps up for the bounty we may have uh, some of the core developers that are working on dex to help them do this right we need to go into c plus plus code in omnicore and extend the database to have an index of every trade that happens for a contract in a given series and we also need to extend a uh, transaction that builds on other transactions that we already have to basically create a contract series so i want to and then those contract series will have parameters and uh so I'll, i want to create a contract for bitcoin against the dollar right and i'm going to set the parameters as being that the notional value is hundred dollars worth of bitcoin and the margin requirement is the equivalence of uh let's say let's say i accept uh as my collateral tether dollars which is what craig sellers startup and they've worked with bitfinex and they have a banking trust in taiwan so you have these dollars on the on the protocol now that are going to allow anybody who wants to come out and trade on the decks to just do a withdrawal from their verified bitfinex account to a wallet they control and and boom they'll have dollars right so you bring your dollars to the table you use 25 as your minimum margin and let's say like 15 is the maintenance margin so if if you start losing and then uh it comes time to settle and you get below the maintenance then uh you'll need to either put it up put up more margin or close it out you're getting leverage automatically right you don't need a banking license for somebody to create leverage for you you just need this this kind of contractual arrangement and then uh you'll have a data feed and you may be able to accept multiple data feeds and, and collate them together into an average and some formula. And each data feed will have a security parameter, which could be an SSL certificate, uh, or in the case of like WebSocket feed, it would be WSS, um, or it could be uh, a cryptographic key associated with an address that's publishing. So you could you could have a, a URL as as a text input with with the cert next to it. Uh, and that could be like where you're getting one feed and then you could have another feed, which is a blockchain address and, and the uh, like a PGP style key. Uh, so we want to support several of these and allow there to be innovation in, in that room. And there are a few startups that are, are trying to do data feeds that are, you know, civil proof and, and very robust. Okay, so so the futures contracts that I hear you talking about as you said in the kind of earlier in your description, they're basically bets on a particular commodity or a particular type of market yeah. moving one way or the other. And so somebody bets one way and then somebody finds them on the other side and bets another. The protocol enables this and protects both uh, the value that is uh, escrowed or sequestered by both until a winner has been determined. And the winner is determined by what I would call trusted oracles. And basically they are automated... Um, unrelated, right? Neither betting party on either side controls what the data feed is putting out. And so it is a neutral source that can kind of be the arbiter of who has won this thing without actually having to involve somebody who has to come in and say, okay, well, I've decided that this person won because of these reasons. It's better if it's programmatic because it means that without human hands on it, uh, so long as you know the program isn't corrupted or there isn't anything wrong with the program, it will execute because there's yeah. no other choice. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned a trusted oracle, uh, what I was just saying about having uh, different sources and different security parameters to verify them is um, we're, we're leaving it somewhat open-ended right. for innovation in that regard. 
and also for people to do contracts that have multiple sources and, and take an average, for example. Okay, so you are leaving. So, you, so the system is designed to use oracles just broadly, and people will differentiate their own oracles, right? I could make my bot into a better bot by making it so it has a cryptographic key by which it can certify that it is the actual thing. It's the actual oracle, and somebody isn't pretending to be that oracle. That's what you mean by security, right? Yes. Um, and if you were doing it in a really basic format, it might be the, the certificate to like okcoin.com to get from their, their futures contract, which is something we want to do. We want to, I want to do a, a BTC USD contract based on the exact same index as them so that I can have an algo remarketing orders from one exchange to the other. And, and we can just kind of import. It's not that's, it's not so simple because you have the arbitrageurs balance sheet in, in the mix, but uh, you know, you put out orders on one exchange, somebody hits it, and then the bot takes an order on OKCoin, which has more liquidity. And in the process, we kind of import liquidity from uh, from one to the other. And um, honorable mention to a few startups. Um, there's Reality Keys, which are trying to do these uh, trusted Oracle uh, basis for data feeds. And uh, MirrorX is trying to do a futures contract based off of Bitcoin E. And uh, I believe their current focus on their business model is, is to be that information clearinghouse, to be kind of like Bloomberg for crypto. Um, we're not trying to be Bloomberg for crypto. We have, like, we I recognize there's a whole field of innovation there, so we're trying to leave that open. Um, and then the other key parameter that'll go into this, is stepping over to the single thing, is the settlement. So the default settlement is, um, you know, if you take a loss, you can obviously move your money as, as you please. but um, if you make a game, basically you've traded with, I'm, I'm Mr. A and I, I took a bet with Mr. B and then things change. And Mr. B's bet was in the red and mine's in the green. And then I sold that contract, let's say to Mr. C who is, is taking a separate bet. So until settlement happens to net out the monies between these three parties, uh, is simply is most simply left to you know at this time at this block the contract expires and it looks through the index and it generates a series of transactions that everybody is, is paying up or paying for I mean paying up or getting paid what their the contract position implies. Um, now you could input a function as that parameter which is more robust and it goes through the index. Uh, like once a block or, or once every 10 blocks and settles chains of people who have uh, based on who is taking taken a realized loss, right? Because their capital is then freed up to go settle other people. And, and that gets incredibly complex and it's a field of, of research and development um, that other people can get into or, or that I may take a whack at. Uh, so then you can have futures contracts that are, you know, you can take your profits and, and eat them too without having to wait till the end of the week. But um, looking at like the OKCoin futures, we've seen the volume in the Bitcoin markets declining. And OKCoin, of course, wasn't making a fee off of their volume, which used to be like a million Bitcoins spot traded. And back when Bitcoin was more expensive, right? And they managed to migrate over to this futures contract business model where they're taking three basis points out of half the volume for contracts opening. And um, it's worked uh, pretty well for them with the weekly settlement. So I'm not, I'm not like, that was a really hard R and D problem I was chipping away at. And then I was like, yeah, maybe this, this can be deferred to the future. You don't necessarily need it. 
uh, to get the desired effects. So beyond opening up a financial supermarket on blockchain where people can start margining native blockchain assets, which in this case would be the, the Omni token. Um, and, you know, may, we may expand that. We may allow um, people to, to use as collateral tether dollars or, you know, gold tokens that people are vaulting gold and they've issued those. Um, I, I think that since this is an open source protocol tool that we're, we're pertaining to build on top of the DAX that, that we've, we're about to launch here, um, you know, people should be able to do, do a lot of things with it. But the Omni is going to be usable as as uh, as collateral, and um, so in, in addition to taking bets, in addition to a guy from Malaysia who doesn't have, you know, can't qualify for like an interactive brokers account, right? But he can do spreads on the S and P five hundred versus gold, or he can trade his own home currency, right? Um, or potentially uh, somebody in the United States who has a self-directed IRA could move all of their funds and, and your 401k as well. They can move their funds out of the U.S. system uh, to some extent. You know, depends on how uh, how much of a libertarian they are. They want to go full money with it or maybe just make it a, a fraction of it. But um, they could replicate a lot of the exposures that they have now with, with ETFs using decentralized exchange. And, well, all of this, uh, of course, presumes that they are able to find counterparties who are willing to take the other side of the bet that they want to make. Right, right. So that's like a really important point, and that's where um, people are not like jumping on it. And it's not so easy, but there is some mathematics where, given a certain amount of capital and and the right um, distribution of orders and, and an arbitrage model, um, you can kind of bootstrap liquidity, but it does take it does take some capital plus. Some quantitative algo trading to uh, to create the spread in the first place for for somebody who isn't a, a quant to come out and say, yeah, I just want to get long gold, you know, with this futures contract. Okay, and so what you're saying, let me just parse that for a second. So what you're saying there is that even in the initial stages where there's a low liquidity environment, people who are using the system because it's new, um, the saying that. Um, liquidity will be provided to the market by algorithmic trading and some essentially seed capital that goes in. So you're going to try and kickstart the, the process and have buying and selling available, not necessarily by people. Those will hopefully come in and trade with the bots, but the bots will be there as kind of a, as a first buyer or first buyer seller. Yeah. And, and, and that's like principally my job is to um, program that. Yeah. So and and that's what I do. That's what I do in my my day to day business. Is uh, I have a bot uh, arbitraging OKCoin and Huobi spot, and then a bot uh, arbitraging the OKCoin futures. And um, I'm getting into Bitmax pretty soon because Bitmax has pretty low liquidity, but I figure there's some good arbitrages on that. Um, so that that'll be kind of an interesting case study for me, and and this this even more so because here we're doing it from scratch, you know. And um, the foundation has a pretty big supply of Omni, uh, which means two things, which are pretty good for people who get involved. One is it's a very closely held supply of Omni. So if you if you come in at this current like million dollar and some change market cap, we're, like you're you're not going to get dumped on. There's no whale that's going to you know cynically try to take your five hundred dollars away from you by just dumping the coin. Um, and two, it means that we have a lot of supply 
to provide liquidity. So rather than than thinking, oh, like wouldn't it be great if Omni went back to like 10 bit cents and we could just dump it? Like we're definitely not in that direction. Thinking about ways to make money over time off of that supply by um, making spreads and also um, by giving decentralized banking yields. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm a little excited to talk about that. So maybe that, but hit me with any other well, yeah, let me just get, yeah, I, I have one more clarifying question about what we're talking about here. This goes back a little ways. Um, so when you were talking about essentially setting up a second, uh, I, I, the thing that I didn't understand is when you were giving the Mr. A, Mr. B, Mr. C example. So if I'm Mr. B, can I sell my interest in the bet with Mr. A to Mr. C, or do I need to make a separate bet with Mr. C that effectively hedges me against the losses of the original bet with Mr. A. So am I selling my interest in the first bet or am I creating a second layered bet on top? Right. Well, it depends. So if, if you were Mr. A and, um, no, but in this case, uh, wait, I'm Mr. A, right? I'm the guy who bought the contract and then sold it to Mr. C. So, um, yeah, like in the, from the index's point of view, every trade is like a separate deal. Um, but where we're building off of the really strong foundation of spot index trading is um, like the only difference between the futures contract and other smart property is that it's an unsigned integer and that when it's on your address, you have whatever the margin requirement is locked up as reserve capital, which isn't recognized by the protocol. So you can't send it and thus lose a lot of your bet. Um, and therefore you get this, this really hard capitalization. So, um, so yeah, the that's that's the the academic problem in settlement is that there is some small probability that I may um, net out. I may do a trade with somebody that brings my um, the absolute value of my contract balance, whether it's negative one or positive one, brings it lower, brings it to a lower absolute value, and thus frees capital up and creates a, a netting trade. It creates a, a you know a, an event right that should net somebody money at settlement. Um, there's some small probability that it may be the exact same guy, right? Which is just relatively simple. It's like, okay, I lost by, you know, um, but in a liquid market, the odds of that become diminishingly small in, in this like uh, square root function as, as the number of participants grows, uh, which is why that's kind of a fun R&D problem. And uh, I don't know if the market will demand it. I think weekly settlement is like, Pretty brisk, and, and there are also 24-hour contracts that like Bitmax is trying out, and um, that kind of solves the problem in an easy way. Because you know, if you want to wait, you know, like, you don't have to wait too long to to get your winnings out. Okay, so let's uh, change gears here, or not change gears. Let's move on to the uh, next topic that you mentioned in that first early barrage: um, decentralized banking at the protocol level. And actually, before we get into this, I have a I have a kind of technical question that I just want to understand. Um, my understanding is that uh, MasterCoin was a UTXO-based colored coin system and was not an account system. Is that correct? No. Um, what, where uh, MetaLayer protocols are arguably superior to the colored coin protocol, and, uh, and Vitalik Buterin has actually made this point, so, you know, for whatever credibility he has, which I think he has a fair bit, so I'm going to lean on his credibility. When you send a colored coin, you're sending a specific little dust, little small amount of Bitcoin, and it has to be a specific amount. Whereas when you send uh, a transaction to your counterparty or in Omnilayer, you send a dust, 
but the data that defines the transaction isn't the dust that's just getting around the spam limit in bitcoin it's the unspent transaction uh data that that is encoded as you said there are two basic approaches that can be taken you can either use the colored coin approach where you take little tiny pieces of bitcoin little uh, tiny uh, unspent transaction outputs or utxos as you said um, and you, when I, if I wanted to send you, you know, 500, uh, atom coins and 500 atom coins, I have one UTXO that represents 500 atom coins, then I can send that to you. And it's that specific little tiny chunk of Bitcoin being tracked through the entire thing that is, that in a colored coin system is the actual token value that I am sending to you. Whereas in an account system like we have with counterparty or like with Omni, um, you are not so much giving somebody cash, right? Where like you can't change what form the cash is. You can't, you know, randomly exchange it for another dollar bill or whatever. It's the cash that is handed to you is actually the cash that you possess. Whereas with these account based systems like Counterparty and Omni, um, it's really more like I'm handing you a check. And then at the point that you cash that check, then it withdraws it from my account and the account is owned by public Bitcoin address. And then it assigns it to your public Bitcoin address. But there's but there's no changing hands here. It's just like change order, moving it from your my account to your account. Right. Put it another way. If you wire a million dollars to your Bitfinex account, uh, which would have to be verified, and then you do a tether withdrawal, and you better do it to uh, an address where you control the private key, um, then Bitfinex, which is integrated this software, will send a transaction for a small amount of Bitcoin to that address. And on the Omni protocol, your balance will show one million tether dollars on that address. Now, if you take that small Bitcoin balance, which you probably need a little more for the fees to do anything with the balance, but just for the sake of argument, if you take that small Bitcoin balance, and let's say you had a little bit more to cover the fee, and you just sent that Bitcoin anywhere else in the world, like as a Bitcoin transaction, then you still have a million dollars on the tether address, you know, in tether on, on that address. Because from the Omni Protocol's point of view, it's parsing that that transaction data, not the Bitcoin itself. That's the difference between a meta layer pro a protocol and colored coins. So another way to describe this is it's you know the Bitcoin effectively acts like a stamped envelope that is wrapped around whatever it contains. So it doesn't matter how big it is; it's just a flat. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of the same price as a stamp as well. It's like two cents worth of Bitcoin, right? So I like I like that metaphor. Counterparty also works this way. One of the intricacies that we have discovered in working with Counterparty over the last year is that this can lead to having essentially bad checks because the protocol, you know, if, if I send out a bunch of different transactions, well, the Bitcoin transaction part is valid, but whether or not there's going to be enough balance after, you know, all of these different ones that went out in the same block have, have been cached is a different matter. And in practice, what we see is that you'll send 50,000 of a token, but if uh, the balance has been sent somewhere else, then they receive the Bitcoin, but the balance of whatever the token they're supposed to receive winds up being zero. You mentioned in the last segment or in the last uh, conversation that the Omni protocol can effectively escrow this value. And I'm curious how it is that you are escrowing this value, because that is definitely something you cannot do in counterparty at this time. Um, well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint a little bit. I think this is a question best left for Zathras um, because we've been trying to build something that is extremely rigorous in this regard. Uh, but I remember a conversation from last week about uh, documentation for integrators 
uh, on their best practices. And, and like, as a rule, if you are an exchange, for example, and you're accepting Tether, you should wait more than one confirmation before uh, accepting that. Because there can be orphan blocks and, and other limitations of, of the Bitcoin protocol. Um, but yeah, the nuts and bolts stuff about the atomic transactions, I, I think is best left for an AMA. I wish I could uh, dig into that more. That's fine. So that's fine. We'll dig into it more with him. Um, but am I correct in that? I thought I heard you say that that is something that you can actually do with the Omni protocol is that you are, these are account. Uh, it's not a colored coin style system. It's an account style system. And that in order to do many of these things you're talking about here, you effectively have to escrow these values. And so, you know, even if you can't explain it, you guys have a solution for this. Uh, yeah, so when you generate um, a transaction right now, it shows you like uh, the dust transaction and it shows you uh, a transaction to the Exodus address, which is where it originally came. And for the text, that'll be where the fees go. And then we'll get to that, the fees are going to be real low. And, um, and then, yeah, I, I think there's uh, a multi sig escrow involved, even in, in simple sense. So, yeah, like robust security for these basic things is, is basically the objective that we've been focusing on at the root level. And uh, and also for the, the decentralized exchange transactions, you have a multi-sig escrow involved. And I wanted to, um, before we were doing multi-sig escrow in a way that is relatively uh, low for the data footprint that it leaves on the blockchain, um, but we've implemented a uh, pay to store hash version of how to, the transactions work. So we're not uh, polluting the blockchain with with more data than is necessary. Okay, so let's jump back to um, decentralized banking. So I assume that this also kind of ties in with that. So t so uh, when you talk about decentralized banking, what you are effectively saying is that there is no, you know, Adams bank entity where you have an account with and it uses the MasterCoin protocol and it's, you know, saving stuff for you in this way. You're actually talking about banking where the blockchain itself or the counterparty or sorry, or the Omni protocol acts explicitly as the counterparty, uh, as the bank in this circumstance. Is that right? Uh, that's where we want to go. So I'm working on a prototype right now, which I'm not going to have a general public consumption, but more as a proof of concept that uh, just uses Bitcoin D and the Omni protocol for issuing the, the pegged currency and uh, the OKCoin account that I control. So it's not, you know, it's not for the general public to pile a bunch of money into it. Um, and I'm trying to get this together for a conference next week to show it to some uh, some banking executives. Uh, so that, that should be interesting. Um, but the basic is taking assets and then issuing currency against them and, and hoping it all sort of works out. Right. And, we, and we've seen in like negative interest rates in Europe and, and quantitative easing and, and, and all of this stuff um, that this system is, is kind of reaching a, a moment of truth you know it's it's reaching its its limits of growth and um there's a big aspect of international trade uh that originally it was called euro dollars where their banks are creating dollars synthetically at an international level and then using things like euro dollar futures for the interest rate that they, people might expect to get or currency swaps for the, the exposure for dollars versus something else to, to hedge these things so basically like you can create currency as long as you have an asset and a uh, a hedge to protect the value of that asset, right? And and this and like the assets that the bankers use 
our our debt assets, right? Their promises of, of future payments, right? So it, it's and, and it's worked with, as long as the population has been growing and the energy supply has been growing, and you know, there's all these new markets. Let's go pound capitalism into them with with our derivatives. Um, and that was the 21st century, and, and it worked kind of well. I mean, there were a lot of atrocities, but hey. Uh, now it's the 21st century, right? And we need a, a new form of money and we need something that's more robust. And also, wouldn't it be nice if people could actually own their money again, instead of having their money legally just being a liability of a bank, right? So decentralized banking is you have an asset on the blockchain, like Bitcoin, and you hedge it with a smart contract. So instead of having counterparty risk with Deutsche Bank or whatever, you have no counterparty risk. Your counterparty has their capital locked up on the blockchain as well. And it's all going to be sorted out through multi-sig escrow logics. So once you've got, let's say, 100 on, and let's say there's an Omni Bitcoin contract that's trading at like $3 a day, right? Like 500 Omni, short sell 100 Omni worth of contracts. And let's say I do that at a, at a slight premium. Like we see this uh, in OKCoin, it's pretty liquid um, since that's where like a lot of the volume is today. Uh, when when China devalued last week, the the premium disappeared because of the way they're you know there's some weirdness in the way the index settled. Uh, but there's premium again, so you can you can take a Bitcoin uh, on and you can have it mostly on the blockchain. You just have a fraction with OKCoin. You could short sell one Bitcoin uh, worth of contracts, and and you're selling it at like a maybe 1% higher than what the index is. So in a week, you'll know that whether you have more or less Bitcoin when the contract settles, the dollar value will be uh, $263 or $63, whatever it's trading at right now. Right? So taking the same thing at Omni, if I, if I buy my Omni at $3 spot, and then I put it up in this escrow, and I short it at $3.03, uh, in, for a weekly contract, I'm getting a 1% weekly yield, right? And we're in a world right now where people are paying negative interest rates to get into government bonds. And even Nestle in Switzerland, they, they had a negative yield on um, those bonds have sold off since then, but maybe we'll see again. Um, it, but it, the point is you can't, you can't retire on a million bucks because you, you're going to be living like a, a college student with the income you get. Whereas speculators who want leveraged exposure to these assets, because of course, as this catches on, these assets, whether it's Omni or Ether or, or Bitcoin, uh, are going to grow in market cap to accommodate all, all this capital, right? So it kind of makes sense for them. And also, you know, they can take a quick trade. They, you know, they don't have to worry too much about the cost to carry if, if they're nimble traders. Um, and, and there's enough demand for that that we've seen very high premiums in the Bitcoin contracts. So I believe this is something that makes sense generally and makes sense for the price of gold and makes sense for the price of a lot of commodities. And we also see these contract premiums where there's like a time value, right? If you're a, if you're a farmer and you sell your, your corn in December and it's March, right? Like a farmer, you don't have a million dollars in the bank. You got a million dollars, quote unquote, of value in your farm and you're leaning on that because you know you're going to produce a bunch of corn. So you got this time value between now and, and when you harvest it at the end of the year, right? Um, so most futures markets have this contract premium. If you hedge with those contracts, then you can expect uh, what's called a roll yield, where you, you keep selling these contracts at a higher price than the present value. 
and they settle at whatever the present value is at that moment and you roll it a little bit higher. So we're going to have a system uh, eventually built into the protocol level. I'm working on uh, an ugly prototype right now. And uh, I'm, I'm eventually going to want to have deposit insurance so that um, there's a way for people to, uh, you know, give up a little bit of the yield they're getting and, and have this one-to-one -one redemption guarantee. And I want to do that as, as a DAC. I don't know if I, I should get too deep into that here. But the basic idea is that you'll be able to take your Omni or potentially um, your, your Tether dollars, which are like kind of old school banking system connected dollars and uh, start getting yield on blockchain. And the result is you get these decentralized dollar coins that you can use to pay anybody in the world with. Uh, and when you hold them, you're getting a yield based on what the, the this, this contract difference is. Um, so I think it's, I think it's potentially a big deal, you know, like it's, it's a big deal for people who have money because, hey, it's something that I can get a safe yield in. And, and it really is like we, we can do it right so that it's like it's safer than anything, you know, that it's safer than having, quote unquote, money in the bank, which isn't really in the bank. It's just the liability of the banks. Um, it's safer than having cash in your home. It's safer than, than a lot of things, you know. Um, and I would even like at some point to have insurance contracts that are multi-blockchain so that even if, if the Bitcoin blockchain gets whacked, you, you, you can get your dollars redeemed. Uh, maybe might be a big disaster. Maybe you don't get 100% on the dollar, but you get them redeemed on the, the, the Ether blockchain or vice versa. If the Ether blockchain goes down, you, you get the dollars on, on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, so for the foundation with our basis of capital in Omni, um, a big thing that we're going to be doing is, is using that Omni to margin contracts so that provide liquidity, as, as I was saying. And then in the process, like if, if we're shorting our Omni against Bitcoin, we could have like synthetic Bitcoin that gets like a pretty low yield, but you know, it's pretty, it's pegged to Bitcoin. We expect Bitcoin to, to be decent um, or you short sell it against the dollar and we, we create these dollar coins. And, uh, and I think the biggest thing for this is people in Africa and India and Latin America suffer from, from very poor banking services and, and also very poor currencies and their, their economic vitality is, is limited. I lived in a, I've lived in Argentina for a while, so I've been dealing with this uh, directly. I can get into all. Of, I think that's like a, a bigger topic. Um, but yeah, the, the mechanics of decentralized banking is that like money isn't a mystery. You have an asset that's worth X. And you, you enter into a, a contract to sell it in the future at X plus Y percent, and and you've got that many dollars yielding Y percent. That's decentralized banking. Okay, so um, okay, so there are a couple of things here. Uh, one, the way that you're defining decentralized banking is very contrary to how I would personally define it. But I have a suspicion that this kind of ties in with point two, which is that it sounds like all of the stuff that we've talked about here and all the stuff that you're working on and are excited about are things that are really personal problems to you, where you're frustrated with the status quo of how things are, and you see this as providing kind of the tools for a better way to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish anyways. Decentralized banking, the way that you defined it there, sounds a whole lot more to me like uh, maybe what banking used to be, but you know, in my lifetime, I've never received any sort of money, any sort of you know percentage beyond like 0.5 or whatever. 
um, you know, per year, uh, you know, for actually having money in a bank. So what, what you're talking about is really more of like, um, like a savings account or like a, a longer term, like a vaulting contract or something like that. Uh, yeah. Or like money market accounts. Right. So the, the way that the way that banks are that have lent people mortgage money and, and all this stuff so they don't have that coming in on demand. The way that they can always, always satisfy uh, like an ATM withdrawal is what's called the repo market. And the repo market takes collateral like treasury bonds or possibly blue chip stocks. And, and you agree that I'm going to give you this and I'm going to buy it back from you in the future. That's a reverse repo. If you do it the other way, um, then it would be you're going to buy it back from me in the future at a higher price. Right. Um, and in this process, uh, they're able to create dollar dollar units that can then net out other things in, in the banking system so that's like the the uber uber short-term money um and that's that's a derivatives contract right and the uh what we saw in 2008 was that this so like whereas like the, the conventional idea of banking is that the bank you know takes in deposits and they lend it out to people um but since the 80s there's been this kind of high like steroid money um, and what happened in 2008 was that that like kind of uh, IV drip mechanism failed. Uh, money market accounts were not uh, redeeming at, at par value. They went below a dollar. Um, and, and people were afraid to engage in counterparty risk for even the basic on-demand money creation and, and unwinding that, that the economy depends on, trade stops, all of these things. So we're going to have to trans so so i like i see what you're saying that that this comes from from my personal experience and and it does you know like i mean i'm a person and, and I'm, I'm i've been working on this for about a year now um but it's not just my problems it's also everybody in argentina who wants to be wealthy in the future's problem and it's everybody in africa who doesn't they're not able to do commerce because the costs are higher than their profit margins or they don't have enough capital to even qualify to open an account. Um, and eventually it's going to be the problems of, of central bankers and, and banking executives because they're going to be looking at deteriorating currencies or deteriorating balance sheets. So I believe whether people are doing it through Blythe Masters uh, Hyperledger product, which, which looks pretty cool and I want to play with their APIs and stuff, um i'm not you know i'm not like building on that at this moment but but i'm in, I'm, I'm open to it i'm not like a priori permission ledger um so you know they probably go to her and the bank can do clearing of whatever assets they want to do and maybe those assets will be dead assets uh or maybe they'll be uh gold deposits right like you know you've heard about the chinese accumulating gold um so it seems like it seems to me that having no counterparty risk and owning your money is something people are going to want to do and getting a better return on your savings is something people are going to want to do and this is the old chestnut that people have been being a throw about in bitcoin is lower transaction fees and less restriction on transactions so to me uh it's there's no contest but maybe like i'm talking my book here right <laughs> Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by Tokenly and GetKeepKey.com. 
This track is called Thought Partner from my favorite instrumental composer, General Fuzz, at generalfuzz.net. I usually talk over these tracks, but today let's take a break from talking and listen together. I'll be back in a few minutes with a magic word. The magic word for today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is fuzz. That's F-U-Z-Z. Fuzz. You've got until the 15th of September to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener awards. Let's rejoin Patrick now. Yeah, I've been living in Argentina since, uh, well, you know, so I've got kids there. The, the way I got into Bitcoin involved me flying to Argentina because it was cheaper uh, than using Zoom to get the money there and, and I wanted to see my kids and, and I went out to the hood with a thousand bucks in cash and um, to see my daughter and then uh, I got robbed at gunpoint by some dudes yeah um, so I only the only money I had this was like 2013 the only money I had control of what were five bitcoins and I sold them at like right at the low like 80 bucks a bitcoin but I got cash for it you know and I was like it saved my life you know and that's when it clicked for me like how how significant this all is and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was sitting in a, in a sort of hostile type situation when I when I got on with the, the Mastercoin people, actually. And like in Argentina, you've got to basically, if you want to bring money in internationally, you've got to find a guy to to sell Bitcoin to, right? And um, there, 
where there's a dollar uh, bond swap where people buy bonds in dollars and they sell it in pesos, which is kind of like buying in dollars and selling in pesos, but it's more more legal. And they're getting into the next phase of their currency crisis now. Like they periodically manipulate it lower, and um, those bond swaps are being like antagonized by the government. So now it's like people must use Bitcoin to move money. And in Argentina, they have a lot of dollars. Uh, they have over a hundred billion dollars in cash. And I think they might want to want to get some yield on it. So um, I do have some some friends there with whom I will be uh, partnering to promote the you know the decentralized exchange and the decentralized banking, um, and, and it could potentially catch on massively. And then I've been working with some folks in Africa for about eight months now. Um, particularly Mustafa Cole in Sierra Leone uh, with the Sierra Leone Liberty Group. I'm planning on helping him raise some money through, uh, with the help of the uh, Conscious Entrepreneurship Foundation. So they have a, um, a, a 501c nonprofit in the United States. So people can, can buy these impact bonds that we're going to issue on Omnilayer and get a tax deduction if they're a corporation or, or Schedule C. And then those impact bonds are going to pay back GDP dollars that we derive from measuring how much economic activity Mustafa is able to generate with that base of capital. And we're going to put that base of capital. So like, I want to, I want to get him like 10,000 bucks, but I'm not just going to like send, you know, I'm, we're not just like going to give him 10,000 bucks. It's going to be like an endowment that is debanked and is getting some income. And uh, I think given the current yields I'm seeing with the futures, it might be like, Six hundred, seven hundred dollars a month, which is a, which is an operating budget that that he can actually work with, and then he can use some of the capital to trade with uh, some of these import export right. So that automatically is going to take very high costs of moving capital in Sierra Leone down, and um, from that base of generating like a small percentage yield off of capital by trading it for cash and and then back into crypto. Um, you can build, you know, and you can start getting merchants. So where we're going with the foundation is to increasingly as the MasterCoin price goes up, MasterCoin, as the Omni price goes up, we're going to divest a little bit more and a little bit more into these dollar deposits and use the yield as a budget to endow people like Mustafa, people like Allah in Botswana. Uh, I know a young entrepreneur who's moved to Bangalore. Um, so we've, we've got, I've got like a pretty good network internationally to make inroads in these places. And, uh, you know, we're going to do it not as an investment, we're doing it as like an endowment, but the knock on effect is that we get more people involved in the ecosystem and everybody else in the game, whether you're Blythe masters right in the middle of wall street or you're Ethereum and you're in Switzerland and you're looking at maybe helping people underwrite bonds or, or you're uh, Symbiont and you want to, you know, you want to plug into wall street at some level but maybe more on the fringes um we're we're taking it in this system d direction basically um and and i feel pretty good about that and i'm, I'm very excited about that that's that's actually like for me that's the best part more than i mean like all of my um incentives here are delimited to capital gains and and arbitrage profits uh that i make in trading and uh you know I'm, I'm giving away the debanking thing as as like a, a non-profit uh freedom of speech exercise because i believe that's the best way to go about it 
Um, and ultimately, I just really want to see like a billion dollars of GDP get added to the Sierra Leone economy. You know, like that's that's my profit. Like ultimately, I mean, I want to I want to make some money. Like I want to make maybe a few million bucks, but I don't want to make like billions of dollars. You know, like I want to I want that money to be widely distributed and and have a better world, a better economy to live in. And you think that that future can be delivered by the Mastercoin project or by the Omni uh, by the Omni project as you're you know, as you're assisting it along in these developments and helping to connect those dots. Yeah, I, I, I do. And, uh, but obviously I do because I'm here promoting it, right? <laughs> so, but, so maybe that's disingenuous, but. Um... There's nothing wrong with profit motive. There is the appearance that there is something wrong when people say that they don't have a profit motive because it means that either you're a magical person that doesn't exist in most of, of life or you're lying and just actually have a profit motive but feel like people will like you less if you say it. Yeah, so so we at the foundation do have a profit motive. The profit motive is in the overall uh, growth of the ecosystem for either you know the gains in, in the Omni price and or the yields that, that Omni can, can produce in the system that I'm describing. Um, but all of the capital that's in the foundation is, is going to... Um, like we may have some expenditures for for travel and things, and I don't want to fully back myself in a corner. You know, it may come to a point where I might take a salary, but I'm keep it like relatively low. But I'm like I'm trying to put everything on the back, um, and and make the profit motive aspect like pretty clean and fully aligned, uh, as opposed to like you know like a public company uh, executive who's got a lot of stock options and he cashes them out and they do a secondary. You know, like there there are ways that things can fray. So I'm I'm trying to lay it out that. Our profit motives are real, like anybody else, and um, you know, and potentially very high. But the, that endowment, like if Omni goes to 100 bucks, and and we're managing uh, money in in the millions and millions of dollars, what we're going to do primarily with that is start spending millions of dollars on on international organizations that are promoting crypto economics, and then you know, for the technical people out there that like hard data. Um, the goal here is to do a D app that can parse activity from marked addresses belonging to these organizations and actually quantify how much uh, they're doing, right? Not only for their gross revenue so they can continue as an organization, but also um, how much activity they're, they're creating. So people will be able to put in a buck to the Sierra Leone Liberty Group, for example, and then see that that buck generated 15 cents of GDP growth over the following six months, for example. Um, so I'm a big, uh, I have a lot of scrutiny on international development. Uh, I think international development has failed by and large. Most experts in international development tend to agree with that. Uh, whereas like we've seen amazing data from just giving people cash, right? That's basic income. Um, and in a way, like decentralized banking is basic income for people who have money, which of course doesn't automatically solve things. But uh, if we can give money to these organizations and they can get some basic income off of it, then they can find useful money saving trades for people to do or, or money investing trades for people to do and, and galvanize uh, the international connectivity of places like Sierra Leone or, or, uh, or, uh, or Botswana or like in, in India, it's, it's a really big opportunity because they're just starting to get into e-commerce, right? They're just starting to get um, $30 smartphones in their hands at a, at a widespread level and, and have this, 
this higher level uh, connectivity. And then I, I want to mention another uh, startup that we are kind of partnered with, uh, Bitsim. They have a really cool SIM chip technology that you can overlay, and you can have hardware level security for Bitcoin or for omni layer balances. So your, your decentralized dollars could be on your your phone. And it doesn't cost a whole lot to get into that. Um, these organizations could probably import them at like an $8 FOB price and then sell them at like, you know, $12 or $10, which is, you know, still like a, a thing, you know, if you're, if your country's per capita GDP is $600 a year, $1,200 purchasing power parity adjusted, uh, you know, $12 is something, but it's, but it's affordable enough that, you know, for what it, what the value is. Right, as opposed to like paying fees on a bank account, right, every month. Uh, so, so that's where we're trying to go with this. That's a strategy. Uh, System D, help the people. If it takes you guys a year to hit the types of usage uh, cases that you want, because I mean, it seems like certainly you guys are about to release some a product in, into testing that we'll be able to get our hands on and really actually you know see what we think relative to other products. Um, but, uh, but I mean, adoption takes a, a while. So I guess the question I'm asking here is that, uh, in a year from now, if you guys, you know, are just now, just then starting to kind of actually catch the traction that you're hoping that you're going to get with this, if it takes a year to get from here to there, uh, is the project still a going concern at that point or is the lack of funding actually a problem? Um, no, I, I think we're pretty good because, you know, I, I do things to support myself and, and Craig's got, uh, you know, he's got Tether going on and. Uh, okay, so this is like the, the protocol is almost kind of like a side project for you guys and you all have your other main things and that's where you're making the money and the protocol is just kind of the enabling layer that gets you there. Yeah, well, like Sean works with Rivets and the, the kind of ties in nicely because we can use their firmware for his Bitcoin, for his OmniJ, so you can have really hard security on those. Um, and, uh, yeah, Zathras has actually turned down job offers and Zathras has really been tra trucking along, along with Dex on, uh, delivering the decentralized exchange. So, um, what will Zathras do after this? Well, I don't know, like I'll have to ask, <laughs> but, um, but as far as the foundation goes, like we've got a solid enough product now and we've got a pretty good positioning, uh, financially for, for running it. And uh, the better it gets, the more money we'll be able to put back into promotion and, and, and let it be. It's, think of it like this isn't like a startup where we're burning cash and, and we need more money to, you know, buy a catered lunch for everybody. Um, it's more like it's not like a decentralized autonomous organization. It's, it's more autonomous, but it's going to become more autonomous over time. And um, the funding aspect is all pretty much bootstrap. So some might hear that and think bearish, but I don't know. I think it, it makes us hungry enough and lean enough that uh, we're gonna we're gonna be getting a, a better return on our investment as we put capital into different organizations or as we uh, put capital in, into market making. So it sounds like one of the primary things that you are spending funds on in whatever type of uh, sense we want to talk about that is with these bounties. And I remember the way that MasterCoin originally did bounties was something that they called role-based bounties, which was kind of like a monthly salary plus performance incentives. Um, is that how you're doing these current bounties? And if not, how are you doing these current bounties? Um, no, we're doing them like a uh, little open uh, 
we're going to we're, we're going to publish very soon uh, these the requirement documents for them. So there are a series of steps that you'll have to satisfy to to get the bounty. And um, one of the basic requirements is that everything you know be open source because it's an open. Uh, so that means that there's like a central GitHub repository to branch off of. And if anybody else is working on it, you'll be able to see what they're doing and, and coordinate with them if you want, or, or just kind of beat them to the punch if, if you're not. Um, so the other bounties that we're going to offer are hard coding the, the debanking at the protocol level rather than having it be an application layer thing. Um, doing the multi-sig escrow that we have for the decentralized exchange to uh, apply for commerce. So if you're waiting for delivery, in instead of like the trade clearing from the escrow uh, when you when you buy the limit order, uh, it's like you're buying something from Amazon or from your local farmer and they deliver it and you sign off on that. Um, so those are both a few thousand. And um, let's see, we've got a mobile app uh, and we've actually got a, a startup team that's already working on that. Um, so right now they're doing it as a client server thing, just as a prototype. And um, their next step is to do an HD wallet that's based on OmniJ and creates peer-to-peer -peer transactions. Um, but other people can, can step up and try to compete with that as well. Um, so I've picked these bounties out because I believe that they are the most fundamental aspects of success. But I, I do want to emphasize that the product we have now is a desktop client that's based on Bitcoin. So you can have you know private key custody at, at the level that, that you would want. Uh, we've got uh, multi-sig support. Uh, we've got armory support. So you can have a cold wallet and um, and we're gonna have the liquidity support. So if you come in and test now, spend a little bit of time, you can get some pretty easy uh, Omnis to whet your appetite. And then if you wanna dump them, you can dump them. And if you wanna double up your position, then you can do that. Depends on, on what your impressions are. Um, and the time is now, like we're trying to launch this thing as soon as possible. Uh, we've already opened the bounties by the time this goes live and, and some exchanges and uh, among our, our community that's been following this. So uh, better hurry up and, and do some tests. Uh, we'll include links uh, to the, the test suite that you can run through to earn these, these fractions of an Omni for like a minute each. And, um, and, and, you know, all, all the assorted documentation that, that you would need for that to, to install it. I mean, like the Bitcoin QT is pretty easy. Just download it, and double click and, Open it up. One of the reasons why um, one of the reasons why I have not been really screaming for a desktop client for uh, for uh, counterparty or really any of these meta platforms um, is because it requires a pretty heavy reindexing, and it just so that's that still is there on the desktop client then. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's a caveat. Um, so, I, what I'd like to see come out of the the mobile bounty is that people can have an Android app that partially nodes whatever balances you have but doesn't have to get 30 gigabytes down because that obviously won't work on mobile um but yeah we're not we're not quite there yet as far as like the, the perfection if people don't want to re-index they can use omni wallet which is the web wallet that we've got and uh it's also supported by holy transaction and um the and then there are of course quite a few exchanges that have already integrated What's the OmniWallet uh, domain? Uh, I actually have used that one before. I can't recall if it's a .com or a .net, though, and I actually did find it uh, in the last couple of weeks to be pretty useful. 
Yeah, OmniWallet.org is the uh, what is the web wallet, and they're about to come out with a new one that has a new 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 coat of paint and, and some better uh, UI design and more efficient uh, refactoring of it. And OmniLayer.org is the uh, is the organization website. Um, and my my critique about CounterWallet, like I actually lost some money on a Doge party because CounterWallet generates this. Uh, pre-designed like poem key for you and yeah in OmniWallet you you get a, a user ID and you get and you and you write a password like the way that you would encrypt your, your Bitcoin QT wallet so I like that better because I can remember my password and it salts the hash and, and thus my key is connected to this memorable string um, whereas I like deleted a file in, in Google drafts I lost my I lost access to my, my Doge party um, so as far as usability goes, I, I have a bias from that 150 bucks or so that I burned um, towards towards OmniWallet. And I did have a scare once with OmniWallet like uh, a year and a half ago, and I had to uh, run a little uh, conversion function in the JavaScript emulator in my browser with my password in order to um, in order to get the, the key out of it. And then I imported that into a, a native wallet. Um, so you, so, so the Omni wallet is kind of like blockchain in the sense that you generate the key. Um, and, and for that contingency that I just described, like you can recover it if you forget the, the, the hash that they give you the, the unique ID. Um, I'm still looking into uh, a wallet provider that will integrate, um, like I'm, I like green address. I was just doing a little shopping yesterday. So still a little bit of biz depth to do on that regard. I really like, like this wallet that takes an email address and aliases it um, while still having control of the private key, you know, no private keys on some server. That's obviously not. Well, it's money transmission, first of all. So uh, green address seems to satisfy that. So if we get them to integrate, that would be my ideal. But in the meantime, OmniWallet's really solid. And, uh, and then, of course, you can have the desktop. So I used to just be a journalist, but uh, in this day and age, I'm also running a company called Tokenly, and we are uh, currently building a counterparty, but the goal isn't to be counterparty, like a counterparty application or anything like that. It's to kind of be a bridging layer that connects these different meta protocol platforms um, underneath. So my ears kind of perked up when you said earlier in the uh, interview that you guys are thinking about multi-protocol slash multi-blockchain applications. And I was wondering if as kind of our uh, the lead out, you can explain... Um, or at least give a, a very brief overview of, of what something like that would look like and what exactly you meant by multi-protocol. Is it easier to integrate um, Omni into something else? Or are you saying that Omni can incorporate other things? Um, well, so since you mentioned that, I'll, I'll take the plug. Um, we have gotten feedback from integrators that Omni Core is easier to integrate. Uh, like, for instance, Bitfinex is already integrated. So um, if we do, like, the futures contracts that I described, it would be fairly trivial for them to jump over. So that's a plus in its favor. Um, but, but getting back to the core question, um, there has already been some initial uh, coordination between Craig and Vitalik about having uh, BlockNet fungibility between OmniLayer properties and uh, Ether properties. BlockNet is like sort of a meta decentralized exchange. And now in one, one blockchain, against the other and, and to clear the escrow, I guess you have to parse the other blockchain. Um, so that's for like basic fungibility purposes. 
But then from an application point of view, um, we're still pretty early in the game when it comes to smart contracts and, and apps. Um, so I was playing with the uh, Ethereum command line the other week so I could get my, my ethers out, right? Um, so it was like, oh man, I, there's this crazy price movement. I gotta like learn this real quick so I can like troubleshoot it, you know? Um, so it's not bad tech. I really like it actually. Geth is really cool. I can run a JavaScript emulator uh, and define and, and uh, I'm a Java, I'm a Node developer these days. So, uh, so I like that. Um, and I can imagine doing a lot with it, right? Uh, at the cost of both uh, having an ether budget, which is kind of like your monthly hosting bill, or um, and also the cost of uh, you know some dealing with some technical complexity that maybe doesn't strictly have to do with my my application, right? Uh, and then in Counterparty's case, they they forked the uh, the Python version of that, and so instead of spending ethers, you'll spend XCPs to, to run your DFs in that way. So. Um, I'm looking at what I can do right now just with some some node logic executing through existing distributed protocols. Um, so I'm, I'm learning Docker uh, so where you can do containers and I'm looking at injecting node into a container on, on a user side in order to have a, a decentralized app that doesn't use any protocols necessarily. It's just using like IT, right? Um, and, and then, you know, then maybe there's some security issues with that. So that's something that people haven't really delved into. Um, if you're comfortable having a central server or a cluster of servers that you own, like you're a legal company, that's not a fully distributed application. But there's a lot that you can do right now in terms of issuance and in terms of uh, dynamically redeeming and issuing coins. And um, Omni facilitates that today, right? So when I do this decentralized banking program, I've got this Python code they wrote. Um, I installed a, a node packet that takes Python wrappers. I don't install the Python requirements. And then uh, I use that Python wrapper in my node code to make some calls. They've got like uh, a handful of, uh, they've got about eight uh, transactions that are, are native to Omni and then all the Bitcoin D transactions as well. Um, so that's pretty good, but it's not like a fully autonomous corporation. Right? So what I'm looking forward to doing in the next six months or so with uh, deposit insurance as like a decentralized deposit insurance corporation, um, I want to do it multi-blockchain. Right? So I'm looking at Ethereum and I'm looking at uh, Tau Chains, and uh, Tau Chains is sort of the uh, the darling of of the team as far as that direction goes, because what they're doing is instead of um, executing so much code in a given block um, guaranteed, but having to spend uh, some token on it in order as, uh, you know, to decentivize like halting attacks on the network. Uh, what they do is they have these like tautological code where they, like the code itself is proven to have a certain function and it might take N blocks to execute it. Um, if you like have to break it up, uh, so you can't guarantee that, but it's also token free. So we're going to have to see where the ether price settles and and where the counterparty price settles as as these things deploy and and they you know despite having some pretty nice alpha uh product out already um they have probably six six months and some change before we start to see like some mature instances come out uh where we can get a benchmark so i wonder where costs will end up being if tau tau chains may end up being cheaper for example um and if you've got this meta layer 
which is independent of a given blockchain. So, you know, it could just be your VPS running an SQL database and some node, uh, some Node.js, like that's like a really basic way to hack something up. Or you could be like a securities issuer and, and you've got like your permission blockchain with like identifications for all of your customers because you have compliance issues. Um, and then you're issuing tokens on a given blockchain, right? So let's say issue security is representing uh, real estate on, on Omni and somebody loses their key, right? Well, we're not going to like say that you burned like an apartment, <laughs> you know, you didn't burn the apartment, the apartment's still there. You just moved some shares in the wrong place. You made a goof, right? So we should be able to like blacklist that and issue new new shares, or we should be able to take those shares in and, and destroy them on one uh, one blockchain and then issue them on another um, in order to create financial resiliency and, and user resiliency, uh, which is something that from my my Doge party uh, burning experience made me realize is actually like a fundamental. Um, it's like a fundamental thing for mainstream adoption, right? Like a lot of people don't want to touch Bitcoin because they're afraid that they might make a mistake and, and burn their money, right? Whereas with the bank, you, you can even buy something and then, you know, and you legitimately decided to buy it, but you change your mind and, and they'll like refund your money and go after the, the merchant and get the money back, uh, which is too much, right? But there's got to be, there's got to be a balance. So for, for ownership resiliency, multi-blockchain is great uh, for insurance. Uh, multi-blockchain is, is pretty good because, uh, like, you know, if, if there's a 51% attack, the price of Bitcoin might crash and, um, my, my hedges on the Omni protocol might not be useful because I can't unwind them, you know, it's like, like Bitcoin isn't working or, or it won't work for like a few days until, until the, uh, the smoke clears. Um, so I think ultimately we're going to enter an environment where people are using these technologies. Um, I don't want to say it's commodities because they have different strengths and weaknesses, but um, definitely leaning on the, like we, there's an unknown unknown in will the longest chain rule be at one point exploited, um, you know, 51% attacks less likely. And then there's another known unknown, which is like, will proof of stake uh, as it's implemented in Ethereum or, or other variations ultimately be attacked? We have yet to see a significant attack so whatever your app is doing uh, and financial of course is, is like has the highest premium on security um it makes a lot of sense to have operational resiliency and and i think um i think people can start now before the smart contract before this the, the low level implementations are, are ready um they can start now doing decentralized apps uh like lazoo's for example is going to be on the omni layer and they're doing a decentralized uber right so when people are driving miles in their app and they're contributing data to the ecosystem they can award them a uh, they can just grant a token with an omni transaction that's pretty simple saying okay you've driven this many kilometers and uh, and then they can do a pay to owners transaction that uh will take the zoos that they've created an Omni and, and send it to those people, right? And that's how they do their, their incentive system. So any uh, data tokenization aspect, um, you can do that in Omni, you can do a lot of financial things in Omni. And um, frankly, I think if you're a startup and, and I think you should, you should do a prototype uh, with a limited usage first and then focus on how can you future proof it 
so that it's always operating so that you know even if a blockchain fails you, you still have uh utility but um it's it's a it's a beautiful time and, and like we have all these tools and you don't have to be a great programmer to use them uh, i'm very excited uh as somebody who's uh started programming full-time like this year like it's um it's it's a big deal you know and uh all of these unicorns that Wall Street's been valuing at billions of dollars, like Uber is a good example, um, they will definitely be recapitulated in decentralized uh, application form. And, and you're going to see crypto equity for dApps that are worth billions of dollars. And it might not be on Bitcoin, it might be on Ethereum, or it might be on, on uh, you know, maybe Blythe Masters will, will get them. <laughs> we don't know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so that, that's the, I mean, there's still kind of some sketchy R&D aspect to, uh, to what I'm saying, because uh, this is new stuff. The message for app developers is that you can use Omni today to begin doing token issuance and redemption and other uh, dividends, so some decent tools to start with. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. This episode was sponsored by Tokenly and GetKeepKey.com. Content for this episode was provided by Patrick and Adam. This episode was very lightly edited by Adam B. Levine and featured music from Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.